0: Well, good morning, Calvary Presbyterian. It is good to be back with you. First of all, thank you, in case you don't know, uh, your church supports the ministry that I have the privilege of being a part of. Um, you, support them, you support us uh, with your giving generously and with your prayers. And, and I must say that uh, your, your pastor, Pastor Tom, is a great encouragement to me and I'm abundantly grateful for him. I don't need to explain to you uh, um, his character. I think you know him better than I do. Um, so just a brief update. It's been a while. I think, I think I was last year, maybe summer of 22. I don't remember. It's been, it's been a while. Um, so it's been a, a fruitful year in ministry. I think for, with ministry to state. It's, it's been encouraging. The year began uh, with uh, my being invited uh, to uh, pray at the governor's State of the State Address in January, um, and certainly that was a, that was a, that's the most significant gathering of government in any state or, or jurisdiction is the governor's State of the State Address, so everyone is there. So that was that high pro, honestly having the obviously they had a chance to pray, first of all, that was significant, but also being in that setting, uh, open doors for further connection So I've been able to, uh, by God's grace, to connect with a fair number of our legislators. The last two sessions, before they broke for the summer, we had a devotional time with a number of of members before they convened for uh, their their, uh, voting session. Um, They've been gone for a while, because not only did they recess for the summer, uh, but they also, basically because it was an election year in New Jersey, they didn't gather, they haven't gathered yet. Uh, and so they're going to. So now that election day has passed, they will return, and I, I'm, I'm hopeful and prayerful that I'll be uh, able to sort of resume the uh, devotional times, and re- renew existing relationships and have a chance to establish new ones. Um, our lieutenant, our new lieutenant governor, I'm going to make a, uh, two specific requests. One is our our new lieutenant governor. Her name is Tahisha Way. Um, She is, she remains our Secretary of State, um, so I've had a chance to connect with her. She is a professing Christian. Pray for her. Her name is Tahisha Way. Pray for Tahisha Way. Remember her in your prayers. 1 Timothy 2 tells us to pray for all of those in positions of governing authority. So you can certainly broaden your prayers in that regard, but I, I... I do ask you to pray for her specifically. One. Two, the second item for prayer is, um, by background, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. Don't hold that against me. Um, um, I was a lawyer, then I repented. Um, anyway, so, but I always did criminal defense work during my time as an attorney. And so the population of those who are in prison um, sort of just kind of is, is in my soul on some level. Um, and so what... Um, I hope to, I haven't been approved yet, I hope to get approval this week, is to have something called Angel Tree. It's, it's a ministry of, of, a, of, of a, an organization called Prison Fellowship. And Angel Tree basically is you buy gifts, Christmas gifts, for children of prisoners. You put angels on a tree, and then each angel has the name of a child on it, and you grab the, the, the angel and you purchase a, a gift for that child. So this is a Obviously a population of children that is going through a very difficult time, um, and so this is a way to bless them. So what I'm hoping to do, um, and I've had good conversations, is to have an angel tree within the state house for members of our legislature or their staff or whoever to take an angel and to purchase uh, a gift for a child. Um, I did get a uh, response from a church yesterday that they'd be willing to host that. So they would grab the and then we'd have the distribution at a church, Uh, in December. And so there's a lot of details and logistics to work out with respect to that. There's still approval from the state to permit that to happen. I am hopeful regarding that. Um, And obviously a chance to engage our our members and so on in in that way. So please be praying for that to go forward and for all of the, for the approval to come, for that to go forward, and for that to be uh, just a blessed time for everyone involved. So again, thank you. Uh, uh, so a couple of things in terms of the table, um, the, where you come in at the foyer, there's, uh, there's a prayer card there, there's a pamphlet telling about ministry to state. And if you're interested in uh, getting um, our newsletter, I send one out four to six times a year, um, just giving updates. If you're interested in that, you can sign up to receive the, the newsletter. Please write your email neatly, as neatly as you can. Um, I would appreciate that if you, in fact, are interested in that. Okay, I think that's all for now. I'd be glad to talk to you after the service if you have any questions. Thank you, Calvary Presbyterian Church, for your love and encouragement. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this gathering of the saints in light that every Sunday morning we wake up on the first day of the week, the day of new creation, the day of resurrection, the day where Jesus walked out of the grave alive and, then gi- and gives life, life today and life everlasting to all who come to him in repentance and faith, the one who bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And every Sunday we wake up and and you summon us to come together to worship you, to praise your name, to declare that you alone are God and we are not, but that we are yours by grace, by mercy, by great power, by everlasting love and faithfulness. May these truths well up in us. Lord, may they be encouraged and impressed upon us because we have met here this morning. Your kingdom come, your will be done, hallowed be your name. Father, I pray for this for this gathering, this congregation, Lord. I pray that you would um, meet all of their needs according to your riches and glory. Heal the sick, um, minister to and uncom- minister and comfort the grieving. Um, be near those who are lonely. Give them friendship within this fellowship, Lord. Provide for those who need work, uh, Lord. Give hope to the despairing. Be light to those in darkness. Lord, for those who are here, Lord, who have gathered here this morning not knowing you, um, I pray that the knowledge of God in Christ, the love of God, the mercy of God would, would, would capture their minds and fill their hearts. I pray that for each of us because we all need to be renewed in that. And Lord, I do thank you for Calvary Presbyterian support of ministry to state. Lord, I pray for the ministry on the whole in Washington, D.C., and among the various states, Lord, may, 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 may this ministry that you have established be fruitful in advancing the gospel of the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, among those in government within the United States of America. And I pray that that would be the case here in New Jersey, Lord, that, that you, Lord, that you, your authority, your goodness, Lord, you, your very self would, would reign within the hearts and among, within our state and within the government of our state, Lord. For you are truth. You alone are truth. You alone are way. You alone are life, Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you and we honor you. Now, Lord, we pray that you would minister to us according to your word. Open our hearts. Enlighten our minds. Strengthen us that we might see you. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us And follow you. We love you because you first loved us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, when you hear the word authority, what comes to mind? How do you respond? Are you suspicious? Are you concerned? Are you skeptical? Wait a second, man. i got to be free to be me. No one can tell me what to do except if they sign my paychecks, maybe. Within our society, we've been conditioned to think in this way. And even we, as prof- if you are a professing Christian, it's, an element, it's part of just the air that we all breathe. We, have a, we just have a hard time with authority. <laughs> it's a sort of part of our cultural ethos. And we have a hard time differentiating authority from authoritarianism. We have a hard time differentiating authority from the abuse of authority. Now, the irony, of course, is that those who condition us to reject authority simply wish to substitute their own authority for that they want us to reject, whether that's parental authority or church authority or even the authority of God himself. They say, you know, they tell us to be free, but then define freedom as what they believe how they wish society society to be, what they conceive that gives life meaning and value and purpose and worth, what makes life worth living. So, you will live under authority that is unmistakable and is unavoidable. You'll be subject to forces and ideas that do not originate with you. The question is who or what that authority will be. So to answer, consider that question, uh, let's turn to our sermon text this morning. Our sermon text is from Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, to chapter 9, verse 13. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of, coming out of the tomb, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now, a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled. And going to the sea, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed man. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic, lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the sinners, not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So first I just want to consider where this reading is, um, sort of sits within Matthew's gospel. Matthew's gospel present, you know, opens up the New Testament. It presents the person of Jesus to us. Jesus is the king who's come into the world on a rescue mission to redeem his people from their sins and to claim them as his own, to make them holy. So this announcement is made in Matthew chapter 1. To be king is to have authority. Authority is at the essence of kingship. It makes kingship what it is. If there's no authority, there's no king. So a king has authority. So as king... That's how Jesus comes. He comes with authority, authority to speak and authority to act. So after presenting Jesus to us as the king who's come with authority, we read Jesus' teaching over the course of a number of chapters of Matthew. The, the teaching contained in Matthew 5 to 7 in particular is something that, that um, we is, you know, that, that is in, that's where sort of Jesus sort of declares his message. And it's known to us as the Sermon on the Mount. And here's how the Sermon on the Mount concludes. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 to 29. Was it the manner of Jesus' speech at which the crowds marveled? You know, he spoke with a booming voice. He was large and in charge. I mean, maybe he did. I don't know. I, was, I wasn't there. But that wasn't, that's not the point. Um, it was the content of Jesus' teaching. Right? Ordinarily, a teacher or even a prophet did not speak on his own authority. He simply passed on what he received, whether it was from another teacher or even God himself. This is what God says. Or put another way, whatever authority he had came from someone else. But in the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say repeatedly? You have heard it said, but I say to you, I say to you, hey buddy, who are you? That's how they talked back then. Um, I'm the one with authority. What I say is what is. I define reality. There is no one above me validating my words. They simply stand by virtue of my saying them because I'm the one with authority. What I declare is what is. So following the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus then acting with authority. We see him exercising authority over illness and disease. He heals a number of people. And then in our reading this morning, we see Jesus continuing to exercise authority. We we see him exercising authority in one setting after another over different aspects of reality. We see him exercising authority over nature over the spiritual realm, and over people regarding their ultimate destiny, over physical reality, over spiritual reality, and over humanity. That's all. So in each of these settings, Jesus' authority is disturbing or unsettling in some way. It's disruptive of what people expect or what they want. And the question for them, and by extension for us this morning, is this. Are we willing to accept the disturbance Jesus brings with him and his authority, or would we rather keep our lives settled the way they are without his authority? Are we willing to accept the disturbance... That Jesus brings with him and his authority, or would we rather keep our lives settled the way they are without his authority? So, let's enter in. First setting, Matthew eight twenty three to 27 The disciples are following Jesus. They're in the boat with Jesus. When a huge storm comes up on the sea, causing them to fear for their lives, unfortunately and strangely insofar as they're concerned, what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. So the disciples are disturbed by this. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And and the account in Mark's gospel in chapter 4 of the same episode, they say, do you not care that we are perishing? Lord, we're in trouble. Don't you care? Is that not a feeling or cry that you are familiar with? might be an ongoing situation in your life right now. You have a situation where you believe Jesus is with you and yet you are in trouble and he is asleep. It seems as if he's not paying attention. He's not doing anything to save you from the storm. Lord, I need you. Lord, do something, anything. Please make it go away and it doesn't go away. Lord, don't you care? Lord, are you even there? Is any of this real? Here's what Jesus says to you. Why are you afraid, or you of little faith? He takes the opportunity of the storm, not to soothe them, they're there, but to awaken them. You still don't know me. You still don't understand. You still don't trust me. You see the, the storm and its power, which is real. God Our Lord never calls us to deny reality. He's not saying, there's no storm. right? That's not what he... You see the storm. The storm is real. But you don't see me and my goodness and my power and my care in the midst of it. Brothers and sisters, when you don't see Jesus, not as you imagine him to be, but as he really is, all you see is the storm, and you are afraid. Afraid of abandonment, afraid of what's next, afraid there's no way out, afraid of death. Maybe you're not afraid anymore because you've, you've given up and you're past fear to despair. I'll just wait for the waves to consume me. Before Jesus does anything, before he intervenes, To address your fears and your despair, Jesus focuses your attention on him. He says, look at me. The storm does not define reality. I define reality. Who I am is not subject to the storm, but the storm is subject to who I am. And then Jesus acts, verses 26 to 27. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? When Jesus acts, are they more or less disturbed? In some respect, they are even more do- troubled. Who is this? What kind of man is this? They're not longer saying, Hey, buddy, who are you? But who are you? This is someone with authority over nature. Psalm 89, verses 8 to 9. O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. You rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. Psalm 107. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who is this that the storm and the waves do what he tells them? The authority that belongs to God is the authority that belongs to Jesus. The power that belongs to God is the power that belongs to Jesus. This is God with you. He is, Lord, with you in the storm exercising authority over it at all times both when it rages and when it stops. The presence of the the storm isn't indicative of the absence of the Lord. But... Someone who can control the wind and rain isn't someone whose power you can harness. You can manage. You cannot control the authority of Jesus. You can only resist it and oppose it or you can trust it and rest in it. When you follow Jesus, when he makes you his by amazing grace and great power and everlasting love, He brings storms into your life where it seems he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing in order for you to trust him more and know him better, to see him more clearly. And he's with you all the way through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for one reason and one reason only, you are with me. So let's continue to follow him into the next setting. Next, we see him exercising authority over the spiritual realm, uh, chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. So there's, here's an encounter with two men possessed by demons. Now, a lot of people in our society would say, what's up with the demons, man? Uh, but some of you might be like, you know what? I know all about the demons. You don't have to explain them to me. The fact that there are demons simply means that evil is personal, that it has agency. There are spiritual beings who oppose God and want to hurt people who are made in God's image. That's really their entire purpose. They want to get to you. They can't get to him. They want to get to you. We're made in his image. And there's an ultimate demonic power who is the devil. And in 1 John 3, it says Jesus Christ came into the world to destroy the works of the devil. So most people think of good and evil, light and dark, the demonic and the godly as equal and opposing forces. Light fighting it out. Who's going to win? Right? But is that what we see here? No, that's not what we see here. These are not two equal and opposing forces, you know, struggling. The demons are subject to Jesus' authority. First, they recognize him and his power. What have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Secondly, they do what he says. He says, go, and what do they do? They go. But the demons are looking to wreak as much havoc as they can before they face their destruction, which they know is coming. So Jesus drives out the demons. Now, something that we not only find here, but throughout the Gospels, is that the demons recognize who Jesus is and the threat he is to them before anyone else. There's a frenzy of demonic activity. around. There's a lot of wild stuff in the pages of the Gospels. There's this frenzy. And I submit to you that maybe that's part of an an explanation for the frenzy we find in our world today. We live in a time of chaos and upheaval. There's a frenzy of spiritual ac- activity that is actively harming people. That is, I mean, we live in turbulent times where the most basic truths in reality are up for grabs and under assault. The fundamental truth of our humanity. At the same time, consider this that this is an indicator and resp- of and response to the advancement of God's kingdom and the work of the Holy Spirit. The frenzy of demonic activity is a response. Maybe the demons know something that's not... Because everyone else in the gospel is like, who is this? And we don't know. And it's all so confusing. But the demon's like, we know who you are. And we're here on the scene. Friends, don't be put off by the frenzy. But be encouraged. Encouraged to seek the Lord. To which kingdom will you belong? Friends, the only way to be free of the demons is to come under the authority of Jesus. That's it. There's nowhere else. Right? And when 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 it's when it's crazy, when there's chaos, upheaval, you come under his authority. That's the place freedom. So his word, what does his word do? His word drives them out. So when Jesus drives out the demons in our passage, what happens? Does the town rejoice? No. The people, what are they? They are terribly disturbed. All the city pleads for Jesus to leave their region. Jesus casts out the demons and they respond by wanting to cast him out. Who are you casting out of of your life, friends? Why do they cast Jesus out? Because Jesus drives the demons into a large herd of pigs who then perish. Why are they so upset? Because this is some sort of um, first century animal rights movement, you know, PETA before PETA. No, no. What are the pigs? The pigs, well, that's their wealth. That's their livelihood. That's their economy. So here we have Jesus, the king with authority, freeing two men who are under demonic control. The captives have been set free. The kingdom of God is on the move. But it's too costly, too disruptive to the lives of those in the community. Again, this is the local economy we're talking about. This is not a small thing. But they're, they're so captive to what they have, to their way of life the way it is, that they can't see what's right in front of their eyes. They can't see Jesus. They can't see what he's doing. They only see what they are losing and not what they are gaining. You're messing everything up, man. Get out of here. Go away. So they prefer to keep their lives the way they are, even with the demons, than having their lives disrupted and disturbed by Jesus. Friends, can you relate? Can you relate to the desire to keep a safe ordered, comfortable life. Again, this was a big deal to them. This was their economy. It's not a small thing. We can't look at them and say, how ridiculous. Because we're tempted in the same direction. Maybe you're happy to keep Jesus around to keep your life in order. I know I am. But what if his presence, his freedom, his sovereignty, his authority disrupt your life how will you respond now you might be thinking you know what you know maybe some of you it's a large group of people i have nothing to hold on to man i have no more pigs left to lose okay i hear you but you know what often it's the things that make us miserable that are the things that keep us from jesus and we'd rather hold on to them and say to him get out of here friends don't sell your soul for anything for any price. He's the treasure. He's the valuable one, not the pigs. Maybe if we called the things that, maybe if we called them pigs, things that captivate our hearts, that we think we can't live without, that we must have, maybe if we called them pigs, we'd be better able to, get, to, to kind of give them up. Right? What you must say is this Lord Jesus, we beg you to stay and do whatever you need to do. Please don't go. And if that means some really weird stuff is going to happen and we're going to lose a bunch of pigs, then you be you. Your kingdom come, your will be done, hallowed be your name. So let's continue to follow him as he brings another disturbance. We are now into chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. This time we see him exercising authority over people regarding their ultimate destiny. A group of people bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus so he can heal him. These are, these are good friends. It's good to have friends like this. It's good to be ki- this kind of friend. Friendship is good. It is a gift from God to one another. Be good friends. Right? And what does Jesus say? Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. That's not what we brought him for. Okay, well, we're, we'll stick with you, Jesus. The friends are not, there's no indication of any sort of protest on their part. But who is upset? The Pharisees and the teachers of law are disturbed. They're offended. Why? Because Jesus has the audacity to declare this man's sins forgiven. Who does he think he is? Where does he get the authority? He's blaspheming. Why? Because no one except God himself can forgive all of someone's sins. In other words, you are claiming for yourself what only God has the right to claim. How does Jesus respond? He says to them, you think these are just words coming out of my mouth that I have no authority to speak? I guess anyone can mouth the words that make the sounds that say your sins are forgiven. Okay, cool. But can anyone other than God himself take a paralyzed person and with a word enable him to rise up and to walk? Who has the authority to take what is dead and bring it to life? Who has the authority to bring you to life? So Jesus says to the paralyzed man, rise, and he does. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, that he has the authority to forgive your sins. Sin is the fundamental human problem, whether you and I know it or not. It is the biggest problem that we have. It is the only problem that we have that can actually destroy us. Nothing else can destroy you except for your sin. And there is one who forgives sin because he bears them himself. Sin puts you in opposition to God, and God comes, and Jesus Christ, God in Christ comes to you in friendship to reconcile you to himself by bearing your sin in his own body and making it his, his own so that he could make you his own in so doing. So Jesus saves from sin, and he grants forgiveness of sins to any and all who come to him. Brothers and sisters, friends, do you believe that the Son of Man has authority to forgive your sins? You know the answer by whether or not you get up off your mat when he calls you and you rise up and you follow him. So I had a cousin named John Hanna. I'm John Hannah. We were close in age. We had a very close relationship. So it was very confusing to many other people. So John sort of it began with marijuana, and then it became heroin. Ten years. He spent time on the street, he spent time in jail. Um, he tried everything to get clean. But the thing was, John didn't just want to get clean. He wouldn't settle for that. That goal by itself, and it's a worthy goal don't get me wrong it's a good goal. But that by itself, for him, didn't have the, the power, the glory, the authority to heal him or change him. He wanted life. He wanted truth. Even as he was running away from him, he was desperate for, for what only God himself could give to him. And then one day he came to me and he said, Jesus is real and I believe in him. And that changed everything. It was, it was, it was mesmerizing to watch a single person Come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and just be captured and captivated. Um, it was like watching a miracle before us. He wasn't simply, it wasn't that he was simply free of drug addiction. It was simply that this was a new man who, who, was, who simply poured out the life of God among others. All of, all of us who were already believers who knew him were deeply moved, what, basically. God worked through him to to get to us, to renew us. We began Bible studies and and evangelism and went on missions trips. And and just one person was the spark that lit us all, that God used to get to all of us. And so John didn't forget those who he used to hang out with. So he went back to the streets. He went back for those who were experiencing homelessness. He went back for the addicted. He went back for the poor. And then, um, after five years, he died uh, from a car accident. And for the last six months of his life, he was assistant pastor at a church up in North Jersey. And the, the man he worked with loved to tell this story. So, they go, so he and John go to see this guy. And when they arrive, they find him in bed, right, just totally strung out on drugs. Right? and he basically says that he's just a, he won't move. He says, I can't get up. I have no reason to get up. I have no ability to get up, and I don't want to get up. And so John gets into the bed and lays next to him and says, I'm not getting up out of this bed in, until you and I get out of this bed together. Why does he do that? Because that's what Jesus did for him. That's what Jesus does for all of you. right, Friends, that's what he does. He comes down and he lays right next to you in the bed that you have made from which you can't get up and won't get up and maybe from which you don't want to get up and he says we are getting up together. He comes down into the raging storm and sin of your life and has it consume him and overcome him and kill him on the cross and then he rises and he raises you with him when you come to him as your authority. He takes you by the hand he says get up friends, will you come? How can you not come? How can you not do what we see Matthew doing in our passage, in the last of our four settings? Jesus says, follow me, and Matthew's like, me? I can follow you? Really, me? Can can I do that? Can Can I come be with you? Is that true? Wherever you go, I can go, and you'll always be with me? Of course I'll follow you. I'll follow you anywhere. And if you do that, then you'll do exactly what Matthew does. He invites all of his friends. As a party he's like come he'll take anybody whatever whoever you are whatever your situation is whatever you sti- whatever's going on right now in your life come because he came not to call the righteous but sinners to repentance it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick this is from uh john piper what jesus demands from the world When the most glorious person in the universe pays all my debts and then demands that I come to live with him and enter into his joy, there can be no more desirable demand imaginable. No more desirable demand. So Matthew's gospel concludes like this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Friends, will you come to the one who has all authority and exercise it in the way that Jesus does to make you his, to claim you as his own. Make the trade, accept the disturbance, the disturbance that brings you the the only true and lasting peace that there is, the disturbance that is your only comfort in life and death. And you will, as we sang this morning to open our service, you'll rejoice and you'll be glad today and you'll be glad forever let's pray lord jesus christ savior of sinners we marvel at you and we worship you for you are truly the one who has all authority you ru- you rule You rule in love, you rule in power, you rule in truth. You set the captives free, you command the storm, you're with us in the storm, and you bear our sins in order to grant us forgiveness of sins and the righteousness that does not come from ourselves but that comes from you. And you are with us always. Lord, I pray that you would take the the truths of this passage, the revelation of your very self, and you'd impress it upon the hearts and minds and lives of all those who are here according to your wisdom and according to their need. And may we truly rise up and follow you and and rejoice in so doing, rejoice at such a call. And Lord, for those among us who are here this morning who have not heeded that call, I pray that they would now, today, this morning, they would see you clearly and rise up and follow you Receive you, and in receiving you, receive all that you can give and live under your authority today and forever. We praise you. We love you. We honor you, for you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray, and in the fellowship and power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.